This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. Today, with Kishibashi and the Carpenter's Merry Christmas Darling. My name is Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast on Christmas music. Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat. So we only have a few more episodes in this season. After Christmas, I'll put 12 songs back in the garage, do some work on it, and bring it back out on the Wednesday after Labor Day 2020. Today, we have two good conversations. This fall, Kishibashi was on tour in support of his most recent album, Omayari. He's a multi-instrumentalist whose primary instrument is the violin, and he generally performs and records as a one-man act, looping parts to create a full band experience, even though he's the only one playing. His songs have often had a psychedelic pop beauty to them, but on Omayari, his songs have higher stakes as he addresses the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. He uses his songs to try to better understand and connect with not just the situation but the people involved, and he does so without sacrificing the beauty that is present in his compositions. He took time out to talk to me about Christmas music, and particularly his beautiful Christmas song from 2012, It's Christmas, But It's Not White Here in Our Town, which was originally released as a snowflake-shaped flexi-disc on Joyful Noise Records. We talk about how the song fits into the Christmas gift concept and his own background with Christmas music. Then... I'll talk with the New Orleans-based founder of Rap Cabaret, Boyfriend. Last season, she joined me to talk about Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, and she returns to talk about another of her favorite Christmas songs, The Carpenter's Merry Christmas, Darling. I agreed to this one, not because I have any particular affection for it, but because I was interested in Boyfriend's take. As with last year's conversation about Mariah Carey, she gave me a reason to think a little bit about a song and pay attention to a song that's never really slowed me down in the past. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, my interview with Kishibashi on 12 Songs of Christmas. What was what was your experience with with uh, Christmas growing up? Uh, I grew up like it was snow, you know. Um, sure. I was born in Seattle. I grew up in upstate New York, so I remember those a lot too. And that was a lot of snow. I, I love it. I love this, you know, the smell of like chestnuts and fires and like, you know, um, uh, I love Christmas songs, just like, you know, Sinatra songs and all like the classic ones. And uh, it's it's just a real festive, like it has a family feeling to me you know of coming together and so so it's always been nostalgic to me yeah was i know you're you're second generation uh japanese american did did the did your did your heritage sort of affect the way your family celebrated christmas um well i mean yeah i mean uh good question my mom's kind of christian so but they also grew up in um I mean, I didn't grow up in America. Well, my mom grew up in Okinawa, so I'm sure she saw a lot of that. But um, I don't know. I think like most, you know, if you're, if you're an immigrant parent, you just come here and you kind of do 
a lot of the traditions that everybody else does. So my parents were definitely, um, oh yeah, they went to church. That's probably why they went to church. So Christmas is a thing. Most Japanese people, they celebrate Christmas differently. You know, it's like kind of commercial. Uh, it's like a romantic holiday in Japan for some reason. Oh, really? How, how so? Um, that's when couples get together because it's not religious. You know, Japan's largely not, well, definitely not Christian, you know, um, it's mostly Buddhist and Shinto, if anything at all, really. Um, and it's like they kind of, um, yeah, it's like a romantic. That's when you take your girlfriend out on a date, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> like, at a nice, like at a nice hotel restaurant or something. So that's that's what it's like in Japan. And uh, the New Year, New Year's is actually more like a family celebration in Japan. So oh. there's no party. Like people don't party on New Year's, but people party at Christmas. Oh, interesting. What Christmas did, Eve, yeah. Did any of that carry over to to your Christmases growing up? No, no, not really. I always thought it was funny that the Japanese, like they they buy, like they they um, I've been there in Christmas time, you know, and they they have a thing where they buy an expensive cake and they buy Kentucky's fried chicken for some reason. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that's like a thing that and I always like thought that was funny, but that's their tradition, you know. Now your parents are both educated. Your both parents are college professors are both educated yeah yeah they're both oh uh, yeah my dad's uh, yeah they're both college. they were my mom's retired now but yeah did that affect what music you heard in the house around the christmas um, season oh uh at the college professors i don't know um i wouldn't think so necessarily because um we did have a lot of christmas carols you know we did caroling and i think because my mother was christian went to church you know we definitely participated in all the activities, you know, the nativity stuff and like singing with the, you know, caroling and, and I played violin and then, so I always, you know, at Christmas time I had to go help out play violin or whatever for, for their things. So, um, it's mostly, I think it's probably my mom because my mom's Christian that we, we basically pretty much had a very all American Christmas. Yeah. What was your level of spiritual commitment at that time? Um, I was Christian until about like, maybe high school when I got into like heavy metal <laughs> and, I went to public, and I went to public high school and it kind of, um, I'm, I'm very spiritual, but I'm, I'm definitely not like religious. Sure. Um, but, um, yeah, pretty much to like, uh, yeah, pretty much to like high school. I think. I've always kind of thought that, you know, high school is that point where you start drawing the line between where mom and dad leave off and where you begin. <laughs> right. Exactly. And yeah, my daughter's yeah. Go yeah, ahead. That's exactly. This. Now my daughter's 13 and I know she's going to be in high school next year. So I'm just doing my best to make sure that she's makes good decisions for herself. Cause I'm not, you know, at some point they're just on autopilot, you know, they're, they're off on their own. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's the point where they're just, they're going to make choices that are, are, are opposed to you because it's sooner or later, you've got to kind of draw that line. And, and I, I remember, I, I was really, really liked Christmas music until probably around high school. And at that point I found Christmas music on, you know, on, you know, it was, it was such family music that, yeah. you know, it was like, that's the last thing I wanted. And it really wasn't until, you know, probably about like eight or nine years later that I started to find Christmas music yeah. that spoke to me. And then, then it was kind of all in again. You know what I did have since you're such an expert on Christmas music, um, I had a Narada, let's see, I had three CDs. I had a Narada, you know Narada, the New Age label? Yes. Um, okay, so I had their 
this is probably like 1992. They had a Neurotic Christmas CD, and then they had a Wind uh, Windham Hill Christmas CD, and I had a GRP Jazz Christmas CD. And I remember I listened to it a lot. Wow. Like when I, it was probably all, all around the same time, like early 90s. Did either so, did any of those make a did anything or anything on those make a bigger impression on you than anything else? I mean, if I listen to it that much, I'm sure it has made has made some kind of impression on me musically. I wouldn't say necessarily, but um, I like that stuff a lot. Um, like it was um, some like great musicianship on it. Um, but, I don't know. I listen to a lot of music. So. Do you do a podcast on Christmas music all year round? I, I tried to do it all year round, but I found it really, I, I found the process of doing, a, of doing a podcast to be sufficiently time consuming that I couldn't get anything else that I was trying to do done except that. And okay. trying to get people, trying to get people during the rest of the year was a little bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I could kind of, I could get people when they were on tour and I could talk to them about what they were doing and Christmas. Yeah. But it was really just so much work that I felt like it was better to just go ahead and take care of, you know, sort of do an extended Christmas season, do it for the final quarter rather than try to yeah. try to get people talking about Christmas all year <laughs> long. Yeah. I mean, if you asked me about it in March, I'd be like, um, I'm not ready for Christmas yet. <laughs> <laughs> what were the musical models you had in mind when you cut, uh, when you cut your Christmas song? Um, I think it's probably like, um, you know, like White Christmas or like all the classic ones with the strings, right. you know, in them, like the Sinatra stuff or like even like, like Ella Fitzgerald had some like Christmas stuff. Well, maybe it's more like Sinatra with Sinatra and Tony Bennett and like that kind of stuff. It's just like really, I love, uh, I also have a jazz background, so I love like jazz, just that old, you know, Tim Pan Alley style of songwriting. So. Sure. It's, it was a pretty pretty easy um, thing for me to do. I don't know if you're interested in this, but I, I've been right now obsessed 
with uh, there's a I guess a online archive of someone who saved all the background music that was played in Kmart's from <laughs> like the 70s for about 15 years of the time he worked there. And uh, one of the things that's in there is a uh, 40 minutes of music that was played during the Christmas season in 1973. Oh, and wow. uh, so, and it's a pretty, it's, it's so yeah. steers into it's that okay. sort of, it's that nostalgia that you hear. And it's a lot of it, a lot of it is strings. A lot of it's sort of the small, the sort of like symphonettes and uh, this, it's so much of it almost, it's almost all instrumental. But a lot of it's like, um, yeah, but, the, the, but then also like the great singers of their time, you know, were like singing these awesome songs. <laughs> Yes. Right. Yeah. Not as much so. on this. But, uh, I think because it was intentionally background music, that most oh. of it is actually instrumental, which is kind of, huh. which is kind of cool. And um, so it's it's if it's a thing you're interested in, it's it's worth checking oh, yeah. out. How do I find it? Kmart Christmas music. If you look for nice. Kmart music archive, okay. uh, I've <laughs> okay, seen yeah. I've seen about four or five references to it. I think it popped up in the last month or so, and I've had people telling me about it and once I started I started to see it around. parts are there uh how many how many uh string parts are there on your track <clears throat> well let me see you mean how many times did i overdub myself yep on there <laughs> i don't know probably like eight or nine maybe i usually do like three parts if there's like three or four parts usually like three parts and then i do i triple them so yeah it's probably like nine nine violins on there Are you imagining 
you know, you imagining your, you know, your, you know, your violin as a viola or thinking what part would, what other parts would this play? Oh, um, no, I, I think of it like, it's more like too bad. I don't have a viola, but I don't think anybody <laughs> can tell <laughs> if I put some like synth, like sample strings on there. On right. There. So, it's usually, you know, I'm a film composer too. So I study that. So, you know, I know how to cheat strings. I'm a string player too. So obviously, um, and cello, like, and that kind of stuff, you know, it's like you can't really tell, especially when you don't want to hire a cello player. <laughs> right. You can't really, really tell if it's in there or not. Why was it a minute and a half? Oh, because that was a that was a deal. That was a reward for Kickstarter backer. Uh, so it was like a, a two hundred fifty dollar pledge, you know, you know, for Kickstarter when I started my album, right? Uh, my career, uh, and basically i think the deal was it had to be a minute and a half and uh i think he wanted a christmas song this, this is a friend of mine actually who i knew so, and he lived in tampa florida where i knew that they it never snowed so it was, it was always kind of funny to me like how somebody would be like how somebody would be like you could celebrate christmas you know and everybody has all these different things about christmas but for, for a lot of you know for a lot of americans it's just you know it's about snow and trees and santa claus and reindeer and you know stuff like that but you know if you're in florida or i don't know south america it's like i, I wonder you know what it's really how weird that is to see movies about it but and so anyway so i wrote this kind of uh, sentimental song about you know or i guess tongue-in-cheek about how it's it can be christmas but you know it's not a white christmas sure necessarily. you know it turned out really well and people liked it a lot so so joyful noise is like uh, we need, what about Christmas Flexi? You know, they're into like interesting releases. So. It feels like in that track that there's a, a conscious effort to sort of, to evoke nostalgia. Do um, I hear I would say, <laughs> I would say absolutely. Um, I think like Christmas music. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's for people who have, well, let me see. I'm just getting really theoretical here, but, you know, it's just like, you know, you have that association. It brings you back to a place. But, you know, all these sensory things like smells and um, words and stories and, you know, sounds like bells. And, and it's like, I don't know, it's like, um, it makes me happy, honestly, to hear those, those sounds. So it's like, I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there who also feel the same. Do you sing along to Christmas songs? Um, you mean it depends on the situation. Sure. Okay. <laughs> like at a department store, maybe I'll hum along. <laughs> right. Know. Sure. I love good. Yeah, I love good songs. Does being a musician affect your appreciation of some of these songs? Um, I don't. No, I don't think so. Okay. Kind of gives me. It gives me like because they're good. They're great songs. It's probably why they've survived. You know. Sure. Like in addition to the nostalgia or whatever the lyrics it's probably they're probably like great melodies have great melodies and great chords you i know you said growing that you that you grew up obviously that with a christian but with you know obviously with your mom's background in uh in uh in christianity when you were that one thing i always wonder about is when you're you know when you hear an old holy night today are you connecting to that as a song or connecting to it as a concept, as a as a sort of as a spiritual concept. 
Uh, I think it's like a spiritual concept. <clears throat> I honestly don't think it goes that deep. I think it's just like, like a, I think it's nostalgic, honestly. Um, it, well, also, that song, Oh Holy Night, has a great, like, melodic build, you know, that's really powerful. Right. So, um, and some would say that, like, playing music has its own spirituality, you know? So it's, you know, to disconnect from reality and to kind of connect with your being is like, that's something that musicians do all like I do, you know, you lose yourself. So I would say that in that aspect. Yeah. But it's, if you have on top of it being a great melody and a powerful song, you know, you would have that uh, personal connection. So I, I would say that. Yeah. Thanks to Kishibashi. Now, me and boyfriend on the Carpenters' Merry Christmas, darling. So I'm joined today by my friend Boyfriend, New Orleans uh, founder of Rap Cabaret. Hello, hello. And today we are going to talk about uh, the Carpenters' Merry Christmas, Darling, at your suggestion. Ah, Why? Yes. Well, I love a woman singing a sad song, <laughs> first of all. All my favorite songs are, are usually these just simple, slow love songs, Um but I think specifically for this one and for all Christmas music, it's an, a sentimentality thing more than a musicianship. So I couldn't tell you about the key it's in or the instrumentation. It's the fact that my mom listened to it on vinyl growing up and then had it on rotation every Christmas when I was growing up. And then when Amy Grant covered it, she actually released it as a bonus track and you could only get it through Target. And I remember one of my aunts had bought hers at like Barnes and Noble and it didn't have the bonus track. And to this day, it is a sore point in the family that she doesn't have the hidden track by Amy Grant. But um, yeah, this this song is just a, a great one in my family. I think, you know, um, there's a lot of women in my family and we're all in touch with our sensitive side and we're well acquainted with heartbreak. All right. <laughs> Let's hear a little bit to start and then we'll come back for more. Greeting cards have all been sent. The Christmas rushes through But I still have one wish to make A special one for you Merry Christmas, darling We're apart, that's true But I <laughs> I really do. I there's so much in that to unpack. Um, I first Christmasing. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The same thing. 
To make a verb of that is is pretty brilliant. Oh, and actually, they return to it a number of times. Yeah. I think that's in the course <laughs> each time, so that makes me so happy. Um, the other thing I think is really interesting, I find that so profoundly sad. Yeah. But I always find Karen Carpenter's voice profoundly sad. Yeah. Um, as, you know, as technically remarkable as a singer as she is and as gorgeous a voice as she has, I always have in my mind sort of a, you know, sort of sad librarian mm -hmm. and uh, who's got this entire inner world, none of which, you know, you know is you know, all of which she's waiting for. She's like so close to, be, to having this world. She's looking at this world. And she's, you know, in this case, this is like a really a classic Christmas song in that in the end, she's like, I wish I were with you. It still goes back to like the really the classic Christmas songs like White Christmas, um, where it's like in the end, she's not there. She's, you know, she, she loves the, she loves Christmas and she wants to have Christmas with him. <laughs> but she can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love, um, I don't know how much of it is, is the hindsight of knowing, you know, her, her tragic fate that I apply that sort of sadness to her voice. Um, but I think that there's deep sadness in anything that's really good. Like any really good art has to have this dark undercurrent of sadness, even if it's off in the distance, like the movie super bad or something, you know, like even if it's as silly as it is, I feel like there's gotta be darkness in play or it's not, it's going to fall flat. And so for her, even if she's singing a happy love song, there's something so heartbreaking about it. And maybe that was her talent, was her ability to kind of imbibe that silence or that, um, sorry, that somber sadness, mm -hmm. even if the, the message is, is more happy, even if it's a Christmas song. Sure. You know, part of my, you know, I, I had the same response to her story. I always try to wonder, is the, to what extent the nature of her, of her death affects the way I feel about her voice and the way I feel about her about her songs. But I had the same issue, and I think I always had the same issue, like in a song like Superstar. I always found that to be such an eccentric choice for them to do because it was always so hard to imagine that she was the groupie uh, who, you know, had a night with the, night with the, with the rock star and then spent the re spending the rest of her time pining. And don't yeah. you remember you told me you love me? <laughs> that part's incredibly easy to remember. Yeah. But it's the first half of that that I always found to be a reach. And and, and kind of I as agree. a result, I've always I've always heard Carpenter's kind of as sound and has been very it's only really been in the last handful of years that I've actually stopped and to think about how you know, how the words and sound connect. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and and, it's, and I guess at the same time, like I think about it, for my case, the Carpenters came up. The Carpenters started at a time, you know, when I'm find, when I'm sort of finding my, you know, I'm like teenager and I'm deciding like, you know, my, who are my people in the world? And, you know, my people play electric guitars. And, you know, just the, you know, the, you know, the utter just nothing but sweetness of Carpenters and uh, the, um, you know, the arrangements of Richard all seemed to me, this is not my world. Well, it's like from the past. Sure. I mean, literally. <laughs> uh, actually, that's, that's <laughs> like there, it's in the seventies, yeah. but it sounds like it could be the fifties or forties. Sure. If you take it from an 
an arrangement approach and the orchestration and all of that. Like we were past that by then. Right. And I, that's part of what I love about them is that they're like these relentless sentimentalists. Yes. And, and it's something that as time passed, I've now come to a, come to love a whole lot more. And I actually was thinking, you know, how many kind of sort of cool and really beautiful moves there are in that. And once the, once they get out of the introduction and into the first, into the verse, it feels like the whole song slows down. It feels like there's a moment where it starts to just drag just a touch as it settles into Merry Christmas, Darling. And it, it, that, that movement strikes me as really musically uh, sort of cool and really complicated, you know, maybe. Um, since I don't know how to do it, it seems like it must be complicated. But it also <laughs> really finds, it moves from this really sort of pretty introduction to a much more sort of genuine and a much more sort of precise feeling. Merry Christmas, darling. And you realize that's, that is the extent of that thought. It's not in that moment, an undercurrent or anything else. Other lyrics may carry more, more meaning, but there is that core of here's the simple, simple and single thing she really most wants to say. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's, and in retrospect, that matched with that movement, that musical movement is like really kind of powerful. I totally hear that. I also love that it's set at the end of it all. And it's, well, I think it's a little ahead of its time in two ways, even as it's reaching back. Um, for one thing, Christmasing is, like, we, we make verbs of, of things now. It's a very meme culture type thing. Right, right. <laughs> and I don't think that they were necessarily pre-meme, but um, there's something about that that feels, I don't know, a little maybe tongue-in-cheek, um, even as serious as they seem to approach sentimentality. And then I think, a, like explicitly articulating the Christmas rush and the fact that Christmas is actually kind of stressful. You know, the greeting cards have all been sent. The Christmas rush is through. It's just these two lines, right. but it just sets you in like this sort of, to me, modern state of mind where we are rushed and it is a kind of hectic time for people um, to kind of put that out there and then move on to this message. I don't know. I'm right there with it. Yeah. I, I, it, it speaks to me as a 21st century woman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing about, about, the, about the lyrics that is interesting is that they actually, that, uh, that one, of their, one of Richard's music teachers wrote the words. Oh. That it started, that it, it's 1970, and Richard had started thinking about a Christmas album, and he started to put together music, but he didn't have any lyrics, and he actually talked to one of his teachers who, act, uh, who it turned out, actually had written this uh, lyric as a poem for, his, uh, for a girlfriend. Oh, that's r- I remember this now. Yeah. And, uh, From years, years earlier. That's right. Yeah. And so, they, so initially they recorded it as a, as a single. I, didn't, I, I did homework. I had to, che- had to check this stuff. But it, was, it first came out in 1970 uh, with no album attached to it. And it came out that Christmas and topped the charts and did so top the holiday charts at 70 71 and 72 this is, i love this the the, dura, the durability of christmas mm-hmm. music and it was released again in 73 again in 77 and then in 78 they released christmas portrait the uh the carpenter's christmas album Tour de force. and they and they re-recorded it for that ah okay so that's a different it's a different version and that's the version they also they did a uh a Carpenter's Christmas special that year. And so if you go on YouTube, 
and you see her walk, uh, see Karen like in his old timey house. Yeah, oh, uh, I love it. Yes, and uh, but that's the, that's a slightly different arrangement because it was you know that was re-recorded in 78 so that's some real durability there yeah from lyrics from the 60s right released in the 1970 at the change of everything and then re-released when everything's about to change again well and in <laughs> retrospect you know if you think about this that it's it was the right moment because in in, in 1970 you would have on one hand the holdover of sort of beautiful music mm-hmm. and uh, sort of the you know, hi-fi and um, and you had a world where you know Burt Bacharach you know still had incredible you know, cultural cachet as the you know, sort of the harbinger of one so- of one kind of world versus you know a sort of a counter the, the growth of a counterculture and in many ways the commercialization of a counterculture and you have carpenters kind of living on this line. And uh, like you know that that makes sense, and of course they would make a Christmas record uh, to occupy that space, and uh, because it was such a tradition in sort of the the beautiful music, um, you know, beautiful music sort of world, um, but doing it with with long hair, doing it with like you know, you know, uh, doing it with crazy bangs <laughs> and bell uh, and bell bottoms, and yeah, and. Uh, and that is still ultimately like locates itself in the moment, uh, but then also touches back into sort of you know, a, you know deeply traditional thoughts, you know like like you know like longing. So you know the uh, there's a beautiful Christmas to be had. I'm just not having it. Thanks to boyfriend Ann Kishibashi for the time and the talk, and thanks to you for listening. One or two final notes before we go. My conversation with Kishibashi started abruptly, and because we both knew his Christmas song, neither of us used its lengthy title. It's Christmas, but it's not white here in our town. If you want to check the song out, there you go. It's Christmas, but it's not white here in our town. He also mentioned a Narada jazz Christmas album. There are actually two volumes of the Narada Christmas collection, and from volume one, we played Eric Tingstadt and Nancy Rumbell doing It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. We also heard a track from the 42-minute album of seasonal music that was played in Kresge's stores, likely in the early 1970s. You can find that album and more like it at Attention Kmart Shoppers, an archive of background music played in Kmart's and Kresge's around the country. Boyfriend also has new Christmas music that we didn't mention because it wasn't out when we recorded this conversation. She collaborated with the Preservation Hall Jazz Band for a version of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's an exclusive to Spotify, and you can hear it there or at myspiltmilk.com where I wrote a roundup of New Orleans-based Christmas songs that include all four of the Preservation Hall tracks that show up as Spotify singles this Christmas season, and two new takes on classics by Christian Diable. I'll put a link to that story in the show notes. If you haven't done so, I hope you'll swing by Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify and subscribe to 12 songs. Christmas is coming and we're in the home stretch, 
But if you've only recently discovered 12 songs, it's an easy way to get back to past episodes and subscribing ensures that you'll know when we return because the first new episode of season three will show up in your feed. You can find all of us on Facebook, Kishibashi's at Kishibashi, Boyfriends at Rap Cabaret, and I'm at 12 Songs of Christmas. Thanks to AF the Naysayer for our theme music. We'll go out with one more Christmas song from Kishibashi. Last year, he covered Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You for Holiday Party Volume 2, a joyful noise Christmas compilation. And here it is. Talk to you on Friday. It's Christmas. What? Two, it's never Christmas when you're recording Christmas songs.